This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Okie dokie, folks. Welcome back to the Horticulture and We're going to be talking about gardening. I know it's hot. I know it's humid. As a matter of fact, I know that the heat coupled with the humidity makes it downright dangerous even for normal people to be outside. Gardeners aren't normal. We'll do stuff that we really shouldn't be doing, especially in this kind of heat. So even if you feel fit, even if you feel good, even if those weeds need pulling, even if those stink bugs are taking over everything, Wear a hat, drink a lot of fluids, and try not to get out in the middle of the day because your body simply can't cool itself in this combination of heat and humidity. Uh, Java, how you doing, man? How, how'd the 4th go for y'all? Oh, man, everything was fine. The 4th of July was great. Um, actually uh, spent a little time in New Orleans, so it was a great a great time. Um, yeah, man. Did you, have the kids, did you have the kids with you? No, we didn't. So I guess the time was even even more than great. <laughs> you know, you know, love our kids, but you know, New Orleans and grown ups, uh, you know, have kids and grown ups have different expectations in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, listen, everything everything's cool on my end. Uh, not not just uh, uh, philosophically, but it literally, it's. I'm in a place where it gets up to the 60s and cools down to the 50s, and I'm not bragging because it's chilly. It's chilly. Uh, but I've been uh, going to flower shows. I've been going to the botanic gardens. I've been walking around looking at stuff and um, and just got some pretty interesting ideas on things I can share with folks. But, you know, John, it ain't about me. It ain't about you. It's about what do people want to talk about today on this hot July weekend. Yeah, we're going to get the uh... – we got Charles, we got Charles Arnold as our um as our uh call screener the intern so he he's he's patiently waiting on everybody to uh call in but I wanted to ask you about have you gotten any new gnome sightings uh you know that's always <laughs> something that you uh, have over there on that side of the world well there's there's a lot of gnomes over here you know the, you know we we have tire planters they have gnomes but I've been actually seeing some really funny stuff I've been seeing uh, a lot of things planted in tires including where people take like a a big thick motorcycle tire and paint it blue and fill it with white or red flowers and hang it on their wall. The folks over here, you know, they 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 do things as if it's just normal. You can express your there's an entire gardens here and these little terraced areas where the gardens are about the size of a pickup truck that are completely 100% artificial plants and they look good. So when people say uh, English are good gardeners. Yeah, they're cheesy gardeners too. So, anyway, um, so so uh, when 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 people when folks call in and uh, Charles is he going to use his regular voice or his radio voice? Well, see now, Felder, we're actually in the new studio. So Charles oh. is yeah, Charles is on the other side of the. We have two separate rooms for our call screeners. I'm in the new master control. I have one, <laughs> two, three, four, five, five different uh, screens in front of me. So when you get back, you're going to see a whole different, whole different area to work with. Well, I'm holding my, I'm crossing my fingers because I want to be the first one to spill coffee on that carpet. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, because that's just the way it goes. But anyway, we're going to be talking about gardening. I've got some, uh, uh, there's a lot of choice of the cheesy tunes this week. So I just thought of, you know, everybody's arguing and fighting and bickering and, you know, coming up with all this weird stuff. So I just got a real quiet little refrain for our tune. But uh, also, uh, in a few minutes when we take our first break, when we come back, I'd like to talk about a new blog that I've done that I've been working on for years. But uh, it's a calling. It's a live program, folks. If you've got something you want to talk about, whether it's brown rot on your peaches or stink bugs on your tomatoes or fair ring in your lawn or your potted plants are dropping leaves, whatever it is that you want to talk about, give us a call. It's toll-free, 1-877-MPB-RING. We're going to start out this morning with Jim calling from Jackson. Hey, Jim, good morning. Good morning, Felder. Um, I've got a tomato blossom question. I've got lots of uh, yellow blossoms, but not too many tomatoes resulting from that. Is that a pollination issue or is that a heat issue? Well, it's, it's a little of both. It's pollination caused by heat. Uh, in general, you know, tomatoes and peppers, people don't, re- don't realize this, but they're native to the Andes in Peru where it gets cool. And when it starts hitting the mid-90s and when it starts staying there, the tomato and pepper and um, and even bean flowers don't form right. They can't get pollinated, so they shed. It looks like they've been snipped off cleanly. And even, Jim, the small fruits, tomatoes, peppers, and beans, the small fruits will, will just abort, just like they've been snipped off cleanly. Nothing but hot weather. Uh, nothing we can do about it either. So putting a pan out there wouldn't help? No. What, a, a pan? A pan. Oh, a fan. No, all that does is just moves the air a little, a little bit faster. Uh, what, what, what commercial growers, what people who grow tomatoes for a living do, is this is the month where they replant, where they plant new plants. They set out small plants, uh, tomatoes and, and peppers and stuff this month, and the plants will grow sturdier and stockier than those set out in the spring. And uh, starting in the middle of the latter part of September, they load up with fruit. You can see a pepper plant that's got peppers touching each other from the top all the way down to the ground from plants set out in July. So that, that's what I would do is, is uh, root some suckers and set you some more plants out in the next three or four weeks. Thanks, Felder. All righty. Good to hear from you. See you later. Bye, Felder. All righty. Toll free one eight seven seven mpb ring uh, this, uh, I'm getting a lot of, of uh, comments about stink bugs, and two kinds of stink bugs in particular. One is a big bug. It's called a leaf-footed bug. Look, it's a big bug, size of, uh, half the size of your thumb. But the, the, its back legs uh, sort of flare out like leaves, small leaves. The leaf-footed bug is a type of stink bug, and they're fairly easy to kill when they're small, little red uh, nymphs. But once they get big... I mean, I don't think you can kill them with a hammer. I'm just not sure, but they're really destructive. And if you pick tomatoes, they've got little small white lumps, just tiny little white lumps right under the skin. That's just stink bug damage. Not much we can do about it. But there's another one we're seeing that just started showing up a few years ago in Mississippi. It's going to be a serious agriculture pest. It's called kudzu bug, and it looks like a little flattened sort of a brownish ladybug type thing, and they congregate like ladybugs. But this kudzu bug, it feeds on uh, members of the, the pea family, uh, kudzu, soybeans, wisteria, um, you know, beans and peas in the garden, and there's lots of them. These are stink bugs. If you try to crush them, it's going to stink bad, and they're hard to kill with regular sprays. So what I would suggest, and this is, uh, it sounds like it's just grasping at straws, 
there's a natural material called pyrethrin. It's made from chrysanthemums, and even the synthetics are made from chrysanthemums. And it works well if you apply it late in the day. After the pollinators have left, you can spray your plants with pyrethrin. Most garden centers, look under active ingredients, and it'll have pyrethrin or something like that. It does a good job of working overnight, and then it's gone, and it knocks the bugs down. Otherwise, get you a bucket of soapy water and just bump them into the soapy water. There's not much else we can do. So, Java, we got any calls coming in? Uh, no, no calls right now. We can get them lined up during the break if you want to go ahead and take our first break for the day. Yeah, let's do that. I know a lot of people are sitting around with their tongues hanging out. It's too hot to do anything. It's too hot to breathe. It's too hot to move. Your sweat can't evaporate. Your core temperature will go up if you're not careful. But we still garden. It's a beautiful time of year with sunflowers and daylilies and, and Cosmia. There's so many wonderful plants blooming out there right now, and I'm seeing them in pictures on the Mississippi Gardening Facebook page. But um, anyway, if you want to give us a call and chat about stuff, toll free one eight seven seven MPB ring. Me and Java and Charles and all the other folks here at MPB, looking forward to chatting with you. Hey, when we come back, I also want to talk about a new blog that I've been working on for a long time. And it finally went live this morning. So stick with us, folks. Uh, and we're going to come back uh, after this news with a little bit of a nursery rhyme about bottles on a wall. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. of bottles on the wall and the wind comes along and it'll blow them off and break them but i got news for y'all folks i've been working for years and years decades really uh, on bottle trees which are not earth shack they're, they're not earth shattering either you like them or you don't but if you hang stuff out of holes in your ears you understand it's about accessorizing anyway i finally put together a complete blog uh, on bottle tree. It's got the history and the lore. It's got a little how-to. It's got how to make a bottle tree. Ain't but three rules. Ain't but two rules. Stop throwing those bottles away and shove them out on something in the yard. Uh, but also, I have uh, galleries with pictures of bottle trees around the world. Bottle trees all over my neighborhood of Fondren, which has the densest concentration of bottle trees in the known universe. There's over 100 bottle trees within a mile of my house, and I've got pictures of them. Uh, also, some unusual gardening glass from Dale Shahuli to sculptures all over the world. Um, and it's just got a lot of uh, a lot of fun tidbits and a lot of pretty pictures. So if you're interested in that, or even if you're not interested, go to my blog. It's a website called felderrushing.blog, B-L-O-G. Blog, and right at the top, it has a little thing that says bottle trees. Just click on that and take it from there. And uh, it's got a picture, by the way, of me holding my hand out with bottles on all my fingers. But um, 
Uh, bottle tree really should be a little bit sturdy than that. But anyway, I hope you enjoy it. Buildarushing.blog. Click on bottle trees and um, uh, put a lot of effort into this. I hope that you enjoy it. hope you enjoy it a whole lot. Uh, meanwhile, Java, well, let's go down the I – don't, I don't know where Ella's calling from. But Ella, where are you calling from this morning? Fayette, Mississippi. Fayette, been there, got gas right downtown. Oh, thank you. <laughs> What's up? What you got going on? I'm, I, I was calling about I have fruit trees planted in my yard, and I have two plum trees. Last year, one of the plum trees uh, produced so well that it was loaded till the branches was breaking. And right. my other plum tree only produced like four plums, maybe. And uh-huh. this year, the plum tree that was fully loaded uh, has zero plums produced this year, and the other one only produced one. So I was wondering uh-huh. if it's something that I need to do, or is this something that's natural for plum trees to do, that maybe uh, every other year or so thing? Yeah. Well, it, it sort of hit one nail on the head. A lot of fruit trees have what we call biennial bearing. They'll make a really heavy crop one year, and it just wears them out just wears them out. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of times they'll skip a year. Sometimes, in the case of pecans, they have one good year out of four. But um, a lot of times that, that's what happens. Uh, also, if the trees are not really, you know, plums take two different varieties to pollinate themselves. And if, and if one blooms a little bit earlier or a little bit later, it may not get fully pollinated. And that may be all that is. One thing you can do is it's really easy. If sometime this winter, when you see what you're doing, it's not so hot, you don't have to worry about anything, go out and just thin some of the limbs out. Just just, just thin them out. There's, there's no rule of thumb. Uh, and when you thin some of the limbs out, then thin some of the branches off of the ones that are left. Just kind of open the trees up, and the energy mm-hmm. that would have gone to what you cut off would go to what's left. That always helps to prove a fruit tree. Okay. I will that's do that. pretty much it. Well, how you other how you other fruit trees doing? You got any figs this year? I don't do figs because I don't eat them. <laughs> I have peach and uh, I have apple. They are yet to produce anything, but my peach tree is doing well, and pear tree is doing well. Yeah. Well, if you if you ever get a chance, uh, and look around in the springtime, late winter. Sometimes you see these wild plums growing along the side of the road. They're not the wild pears, the big things. They're sort of round, and usually there's a whole group of them growing together. That's called the Chickasaw plum, and they will make the. They're not big. They're not. They're not store type, but they will really outproduce almost everything, and they pollinate themselves. But those are old wild plums, the Chickasaw plum, it's a great, and it's pretty too in the yard. Okay. All righty. Well, good luck on it. Stay cool. I will. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Down to Fayette, uh, down on the right, right along the Mississippi River. We're going to slide now up to Hernando. Mike, what's going on, man? Uh, good morning, Felder. I was wondering if you have any information on the Crosby Arboretum down in Picayune. I saw it online, yeah. and I was wondering. I've uh, never heard of it. Well, uh, matter of fact, uh, before it was even arboretum, uh, I, I used to go down there with with professors and students. We studied uh, native plants and ecosystems and all that stuff. And uh, it, it's a, it's an area. It's it, it's it's right 
it's, it's within 300 yards of the interstate, the last exit leaving Mississippi, the Picayune exit. Cross uh, uh. Arena was, was started as a collection of, of different habitats. They, they, they trained a little bit. They, cha- they created a, a lake that you could walk around in each of the different areas. is a different type of habitat from woodland uh, to swampland. To prairies, it got wildflowers, pitcher plants. It's a it's a, a natural study area, and it's really really very interesting. And the pavilion there uh, won a gold medal from the American Institute of Architects. A model of it toured Europe. So it was a cool place, and they have really good plant sales on the weekends. Really, I understand it's uh, connected with the uh, Mississippi State University somehow. It was. It was, uh, uh, it was started. The, the first director was a guy named Ed Blake, who was a landscape architect, and then uh, run by Bob Bruzak, who's now a professor of landscape architecture at State. But MSU manages it. Uh, but if, you know, uh-huh. if anybody else who's listening, if you just just go online and type in Crosby Arboretum, I think they have a plant sale going this weekend. I'm not sure, but they have regular plant sales that are just terrific native plants. It's a, it's a, it's oh. an interesting. It's an interesting stop. It sure is. It sounds that I'm from the West. I'm from Utah, and we have certainly different kinds of trees and plants there. And I'm going to go down there because I'd like to see what's native to Mississippi. Uh, yeah, and, and it's not just you know a collection of it's not a native plant garden. It's it's a collection of native native plant habitats. What grows well again, a lot of good textures and all. One of the most interesting things is is there they they have a raised walkway that goes out across a wetland area that has these pitcher plants and other insect eating plants that are native to South Mississippi. Yes. And mm-hmm. so anyway, uh, I, I'd wait a little bit till fall right now. You know, it's, it's interesting any time, but if you get a little bit later towards the fall, you get more of the fall wildflowers and more butterflies and things like that. And it's cool. Oh, thank you for the tip. I will. I'll wait till this fall and we'll drive down. All righty. Well, appreciate your call. Welcome from, from Utah. Woo. Oh, yeah. We had mostly desert, but, you know, we got the mountains. <laughs> yeah. High, high, high de- it's high desert, though. A whole lot different from desert desert. Yes, very much so. Uh, we're as high, we're almost as high as Denver. We're way, way up in the Wasatch Mountains, and uh, our peaks are ten, eleven thousand feet. It cools down at night. Well, this is a whole different habitat here. Wear a hat and stay hydrated. Oh, and it's beautiful here. My my his, my relatives are from here, so I'm very comfortable here. All righty. Well, appreciate it. Stay cool. Thank you for calling. You, you too. All right, and now let's slide uh, down to Fairhope, Alabama. Beautiful Fairhope, Alabama. Frank, how are you this morning? I'm doing well, but I'm wet right now. It just started raining. Really? Are you from Fairhope? Yeah, well, I was born in Mobile, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm close. The reason why I'm asking because in this uh, this new blog I put out on all different kinds of bottle trees, I have a gallery of interesting bottle trees from around the world, and it features. You know, right there, that I forget the name of the art museum. This, this, you know, that's there uh, just just outside the downtown area of Fairhope. But it's got this incredible sculpture done, I guess, by by the art students there, and it's featured in this blog on bottle trees. Well, good. I will pass that info on to folks around here. Good. Well, what you got going on? What's up? Well, I've got real pretty green zucchini leaves and real pretty yellow zucchini flowers, but I can't get any fruit to set. I'm wondering. You know the, can you tell the difference between male and female flowers? You know the difference on them. I do not. Okay, uh, take a look at them. 
Uh, the flowers look alike when you're standing up. If you go down and look at them, the male flowers are, are just on a little stem, just a plain stem. The female flowers what looks like a little squash about the size of your finger. It ain't a squash to get pollen from the male flower to the female flower, and that's done by bees, or you can do it by hand. If you got both male and female flowers open at the same time, just break a male flower off, stem and all, peel the petals off. you got what looks like a mascara brush, a little paintbrush, and use it to dab pollen in an open female flower, and within two days you're eating squash. So it may, it may be the uh, imbalance between male and female, which usually sorts itself out after a while, or you may not have bees getting the pollen from the male to the female. Very good. I figured it was a pollination issue. I just didn't understand yeah, Thank well, you you know, if you look at it, if you got both the male and female, it'll be pretty obvious which is which. But the, and, the yeah. and, and by the way, if you got females and there and there's no males, you can eat the the immature uh, uh, squash looking things, and you can also eat the flowers. So don't just let it go to waste. Okay, my yellow squash is barren like crazy. Okay, well then you'll be able to see the, the different male and female on those. And if your zucchini squash has got female flowers but no male flowers, you can use the yellow squash to pollinate the zucchini squash, and you still get zucchinis. Just don't try to save the seeds. Okay. I appreciate it. All righty. Stay cool. And glad you're getting some rain. We've got enough rain to last us a while. There you go. There you go. All righty. Well, now we're going to slide. We're going up and down and all around. Let's go up to Olive Branch up in North Mississippi. Hey, Oliver. Yes, hello, Felder and uh, Java Chapman. Y'all doing a wonderful job. My question is about watering the plants during this 100-degree weather. Yeah. Do you wait till they wither to water, or do you water every day? Well, that's, that's a good question. First of all, there's no plant that needs to be watered every day unless it's a little bitty plant a little bitty pot. 100-degree farmer. Okay, you need to turn, you need to turn, your, turn your radio down. Turn your radio down. You got that? Okay, anyway, uh, you know, if you ride around town, there's, there's old gardens with shrubs and flowers and trees and grass, and, and they ain't never watered, and it looks fine. So the idea is not how often, when to water, but water really good when you water, and then let it get almost dry before you water it again. And that works on pots. It works on lawns. It works on flowers and shrubs. Whatever the plant is, water it really good, maybe twice a few minutes apart to really soak it in, and then see how long you can go before you have to do it again. But really good and deep after it needs it is a rule of thumb. That make sense? Well, Oliver, he um, he stepped away. <laughs> um, but it does make sense, Fredder. I, I think a, a lot of times with the the heat, you know, you just think you need excessive excessive amounts of water to compensate for the heat, but it's not necessarily and you know, so. I, and a lot of people do that. I see people they they say that yeah, I see people watering the grass three times a week, and at their church and the graveyard and the schoolyard, the grass looks fine and it's not watered. It ought to be watered. But if you water a lawn more than every week or two. That's too much, and that's what they teach in Turf Management 101. So more than once a week is going to cause problems, and it makes the grass dependent. A container plant is going to dry out pretty quick, but even with potted plants, 
if you'll put mulch on top of the soil so it doesn't evaporate, so it doesn't just act like a wick, if you water twice a few minutes apart, you can go two or three times as far between so as long between soaking. So the in trees and shrubs, you know, again, just ride around. Look in cemeteries and schools and old parts of town. You don't have to do all that stuff. If you happen to do it, you need to wean your plants away by gradually watering deeper and gradually less often so the roots get used to, to, to normal stuff. So if you're watering more than once a day, something wrong with you. If you're watering every day, you just need to need, need to back off a little bit. This is true. You know, you know, Java. I, you know, I'm I'm gone from my garden for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. I got potted plants. I got raised beds. I got stuff in the back of my truck. And nobody waters that stuff, and it most of it makes it. And if you're watering every day, my advice is to get a hobby. <laughs> the, the the only reason for watering every day and this kind of heat is if you're outside, you're barefoot, and it just feels good to run it over your toes. There you go. <laughs> Felder, let's go ahead and take our second break and uh and run this cheesy tune that you got queued up. Okay, you know all it is just a calm down, folks. Calm down, and uh, we got some lines open. If you want to give us a call, toll free one eight seven seven MPB ring. Me and Java and Charles and other folks at Mississippi Public Broadcasting, we welcome you to our program every weekday, Monday through Friday, uh, and also the Gestalt Gardens rebroadcast on Saturdays. Uh, if you have some questions, shoot me an email, garden, uh, excuse me, felderrushing.blog. While you're at it, click on that little thing that says bottle trees. I think you'll really be surprised at the way this has been set up and the, and the, the photographs. And the, it doesn't have a bunch of words and stuff. But go to felderrushing.blog. Click email me if you want to. Certainly click on the new bottle tree blog. I uh, put a lot of effort into it. I think it's the best on earth. Anyway, we'll be back with more of Gestalt Garden right after this. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down a road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. Ashamed to say, I hope it always will stay this way. My hat is off, won't you stand up and take a bow? I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat me a lot of peaches 
I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. I'm moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. Now, Felder, do you find a lot of peaches over there uh, in, in, in no. Lancashire? <laughs> no, they don't have peaches. They got, they got apples and pears and stuff because it's a better climate. But they, they do have peaches. And uh, a couple of blocks from me, there's a lady who's got a great big fig tree in her front yard. You know, people think of England being cold in the winter. It's not as cold as Mississippi. It just gets almost as cold, and it stays there. But they got figs and uh, the blackberries, the blueberries, are the little small wild blueberries called windberries. I was out picking some the other day. Uh, but they have wild blackberries and raspberries just everywhere you go. So uh, anyway, it's just one of one of those weird things. We have peaches. Lady uh, earlier said she doesn't really like peaches. Well, yeah, but have a peach tree, make some fig preserves because you can give those things away. They're better than gold. I mean, you can get peaches at the store. You got to know somebody to get some homemade fig, fig preserves. That's so, that is right. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been looking at these uh, pictures on the Mississippi Gardening Facebook page, and a lady named Jenny Brooks posted a picture of some tomato, some uh, spaghetti sauce she made with ingredients from her garden. It's just a wonderful little place for what I call garden variety gardens. There's experts there, but the garden variety garden saying, "Look at my zinnias. Look at my look at my peppers. Uh, what is this on my daylily?" It's just a real good little site. But anyway, uh, I have been seeing a lot of people with problems on their peaches with with uh, this thing called brown rot. If you grow peaches and plums, you can have worms and diseases and stuff. And unfortunately, it's hard to grow those without spraying. That's one of the reasons I like figs and muscadines and blueberries. They just don't need all that spray. But anyway, uh, let's let's talk with uh, let's go to Florence and talk with Donna. Hey, Donna. Good morning. Thank you for holding. Uh, sure, I've got a question for you. I ordered some calla lily bulbs uh, this uh, year, and I've had great success with them. But my son also gave me caladium bulbs, and the same thing there. But what I'm wondering is. Will I be able to save these bulbs over winter and replant them in the spring, or are they one of the kind of bulbs that's one and done? Oh, well, you can save them. It's a little bit of trouble with the caladiums, but the callas can actually come back if they're in a protected place. And they, uh, Where calla lilies naturally grow is along creek banks and ponds and stuff like that. They don't mind a little extra water is what I'm saying. But uh, it's possible oh, okay. if you've got a protected place. And uh, you cut them down after hard frost and mulch them. Uh, Callus can come back for a long, long time. They'll they'll take a good bit of cold with. Um, the caladiums, oh, on the other hand, the caladiums tend to rot though. They're from a, a, a more arid, dry part of the, uh, of the world. And so, if you want to save them, if they're in pots, you can just simply in the fall just cut off the leaves and let the pots dry out. Keep them indoors, and next spring, water them and let them start back over. Or else pull the, the those little corn things out, shake off the dirt, and store them dry and cool, like in a, a mesh bag or something like that, just as long as they don't stay too wet. So you can you can keep the caladiums over winter that way. Okay, i got two questions. One is I have a lot of hostas, and I was told mm-hmm. that when they go to bloom, you should cut off the bloom, and it makes them bush what? out more. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. They have the best flowers. They're terrific flowers. Pretty. You know, yeah, they're they're pretty. Now, here's the deal. If you want leaves on hostas, this is a a trick here in the south. 
uh, unlike further north where they just gr- they grow in cemeteries out in the full sun, here if you make sure they don't keep them wet, but if you water them and give them a little fertilizer, just a little, maybe half strength, uh, some liquid fertilizer, maybe every fourth or fifth or sixth time you water, just a little fertilizer and a good occasional soaking, they'll keep putting new leaves on all summer long. Well, that's what I've been doing. And when is the best time to uh, move irises? If I want to dig up irises, uh, they're heirloom irises. They're probably yeah. 50 years old at least. So when is the now best time are, to try to move them? Yeah, these are just a re- what I call regular old irises, the bearded iris. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. You can, that's one of the few plants you can move any day of the year, any day of the year. But here's the deal. when you When you move irises, you know, you dig them up, they're going to flop over. So most people cut them into a little fan shape to keep them falling over. But with these uh-huh. these type of irises, if you go online and find out how to plant them, they're all wrong because they're not written by Southerners. If you don't leave the top of that little ropey rhizome showing, if you cover it up with dirt or mulch, they rot or they don't flower. So always leave the top part of that little root baking in the sun and cut them in a little fan. Okay. You can move them anytime you get around to it, though. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your information. Okay. Hey, let it, let it, send, send us a picture of the flowers. The flowers are part of a hostel. I get the the, I, the last plant society talk I gave uh, this spring was to the hostel society up in the Memphis Botanic Garden, and they value their flowers as much as anything. Oh, okay. Uh, if, if, if if it's if if it's somebody who's really important to you who's telling you this, cut some of them off and leave some. <laughs> okay, it's just me. <laughs> okay, just me. enjoy. Thank, thank you so much. Uh-huh. Thank you. Okay, that was Donna in Florida. Now let's slide over to Vicksburg. Tina, what's going on in the River City? Well, you know, it's very hot and very muggy. Normal. That's normal. <laughs> yes, it is. It is for us anyway. Um, I have a question about my tomato plants. This year... I planted a lot of tomato plants, and I used grow bags because I live in the city and I don't have a lot of room, but I still like to do my little farming. You know, we're southern women. We're supposed to farm. We're supposed to raise tomatoes. And my tomatoes are doing great in the grow bags. They love them. But I have this one indeterminate tomato that it's just always looked kind of funny, almost like it bolted. Um, it's, uh, It's very sparse. And I finally have some little blooms on it. But yesterday, I was trimming suckers off some of my others, and I noticed it's got this weird scale all over it. Huh. Any idea what it is? It kind of freaks me yeah. out. Well, you know, without seeing it, you know, scale, I'm pretty familiar with scale insects, but I haven't heard about it on tomatoes. So I'd have to really see a picture of that before. You know, you can either send it to me, my email at Felder rushing.blog or if you're a member of the Mississippi Gardening Facebook post it on there but you know without no I've never heard uh, okay see if you can post a good clear close up picture of of, of that because I haven't heard of scale on tomatoes of course I've never seen anything like it I I see stuff every single week and I've been doing this for 40 years every single week I see something I've never seen before usually I can look it up but sometimes I can't even do that so, uh, well, anyway, it's, over, uh, it's on the entire plant. It's on every branch, every... It's, it's just the weirdest thing I've ever seen. 
need need to see a picture. You know, if I was a doctor, I'd say come I'll in the office and say and say ah. Uh. <laughs> oh, let, let, sure. let, let me mention this: the first garden I ever grew in the, in my pickup truck was a grow bag back behind the the back. And a lot of people don't realize grow bags are just they're flat bags of potting soil, but it's a great way to grow stuff. As long as you don't keep it sopping wet or let it stay dry, but grow bags are a terrific thing to do. I just really love them. Um, I have planted tomatoes, potatoes, onions, and I have a uh, some cucumbers and a couple of zucchini planted yeah, in the larger grow bag. Yeah, it's just a container garden, except that the potting soil comes in the container. Well, and I cool. think that the root. The roots can get air, and it seems like they really, really like that. My tomatoes are enormous. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. So, anyway, uh, send, send me a picture. I want to see what I want to learn something here. I'll do it. Okay. Thanks so much. All right. Appreciate it. So, uh, Java. What's up, man? Getting any calls? Is we keeping Charles busy this morning? Yeah, Charles is getting the full full workout. We're getting our our interns' money's worth this morning because now we have a uh, Michael in Hattiesburg. Wait a, Wait a second, you're not paying him, are you? Um, it's through the through the work <laughs> through the uh the world of internship. Uh, I think that is you know getting paid in valuable <laughs> experience. <laughs> that's right. That's right, and we do appreciate it too. So who who you say we got on, on online? Uh, Michael in Hattiesburg. Oh, Michael, not online, live. What's up, Michael? Good morning, Felder. How you doing? Doing fine. Doing fine. Having a good time. Good. Look, I'm I'm wondering with my centipede grass and the hotter summer days coming on, should I cut it a little higher than the the two inch that I cut it right now, or just leave it the the right that the highest level? Well, the, the highest level the highest level is fine, you know. That, but but you're right. Uh, during hot weather, the grass actually does better when it's not mowed close. So you can actually you know mow less often. As long as you're still mowing on the high side, it's perfectly fine. Okay, but, just um, don't go beyond the two inch though. Stay at just stay at the high side. That's right. That's right. Okay. You know, and if you want to do that, and the, are, are you watering at all? I haven't had to uh, so far. We've had enough rain to, to not have to water. Well, the reason I'm saying because to cut up the grass when it starts looking like it's getting dry, then I then I go ahead and water. Yeah, a lot of people are around. Centipede is really a pretty drought tolerant grass, and usually you can get by watering it. Once a month, if you go without rain, but if you go a month without rain, we're not worried about the grass by that point. But centipede is kind of a yellow green grass anyway. But a good deep soaking once a month, or a good rain once a month, and mow high, doing good. My, my, my front lawn is is sloped and, and facing the south, and has full sun all day long, so it, it dries out yeah. a little bit quicker than maybe some other areas. But um, I just yeah. kind of watch the color of it. When I see it starting to turn kind of grayish green, I know it's it's starting to dry out, and, and I'll, if there's no rain in the forecast, I'll go ahead and water it then. There you go. All righty, man. Well, good luck on it. Thank you very much. I sure appreciate you, and, and enjoy your show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How about that, Java? Well, we provide a nice service, man. I really appreciate when people like Mike, Michael uh, calls in and, and tell us that they enjoy our program. Um, you know, I'm looking at a whole whole lot of um, uh, people are growing zinnias this year, and there's a lady in downtown Vicksburg who has planted so many zinnias, and 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 there's a, a plot of zinnias uh, right by the just, just immediately north of the library in Ridgeland, just north of Jackson. But um, a lot of people really enjoy planting zinnias, and you start out one year 
with with just a little bit of uh, a few seeds and just put them on bare dirt. And then when those start to fade, you've got five times as many seeds as you bought. But anyway, we've seen people in communities taking little small areas that don't have anything growing anyway, and they're planting zinnias. And it's so cool, so cool. But anyway, if you want to start a kid out with a plant that is easy to grow, good production, butterflies, cut flower, cannot go wrong with a package of zinnia seeds. We're going to take a break, folks, a little bit of a break, and uh, come back with more of the... This Thought Garden here on Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Me and Java and Charles and all the other folks at MPB. Uh, again, during the week, if you have questions, you can email me by going to belderushing.blog. I don't sell anything on my blog, uh, and I don't really get into weird yeah-yeah with people. But if you go to belderushing.blog, it has the things that email me. Also, the link to my all my, my work I've been doing on bottle trees with lots of pictures, not a whole bunch of words. I think it's a little entertaining thing, and it might even get somebody to put a bottle tree out there. My neighborhood has got over 100 bottle trees for within a mile of my house. So anyway, if you don't like them, you can at least enjoy the pictures. We'll come back with more of the Gestalt Gardener here on MPB right after this. Dr. Jimmy Stewart. On the original Southern Remedy, the doctor is always in and ready to take your questions about health care. To subscribe, search for Southern Remedy on any podcasting app. You can email a question to remedy at mpbonline.org. All right, folks, welcome back. Uh, before we go to this next caller, let me mention this. Uh, a lot of people are running into caterpillars in their garden. There's a lot of really cool moths and really cool butterflies, but two in particular I want to uh, mention. One, if you're down near the coast and you grow citrus plants, there's a, a, a caterpillar that looks like bird poop. There's no other way I can put it. It looks like bird poop. It's called an orange dog. It lives almost exclusively on citrus. It's a weird-looking, nasty-looking caterpillar, but it turns into the giant swallowtail. So if you see these on your on your, your orange tree or satsuma or your kumquat or whatever, don't kill it. They're not going to kill your tree. If they're eating too many leaves in one spot, move it to another spot. spot. But the giant yellow swallowtail has got a caterpillar on citrus and looks like bird poo. But also there's a lot of hairy caterpillars out there that are furry-looking. Those, a lot of times, are venomous. They've got spines in those hairs that can make their lymph gland, gland under your underarm swell up. So there are some poisonous caterpillars out there. If you're not sure about these things, or you come across a velvet ant, which is a wingless wasp, there's a lot of weird creatures out there. You don't have to kill them. Just be aware that they're out there. Just be aware and enjoy them. They're cool. They're interesting. Uh, but just be careful. Enjoy, be curious, but be cautious. Now, let's slide over to Neshoba County and talk with Bill. Thank you for holding, man. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Sure, what's uh, up? Okay, I live on a country road, and from time to time, uh, there's uh, upright mammals that come into my yard. And uh, this one was driving a pickup, I think. And dropped off a bunch of uh, charcoal uh, in the side of my yard. And I'm just wondering, is that going to make a big poison spot? Do I need to clean it up? 
Uh, that's, that's a good question. You know, there's, there's no accounting for the way people act. Some people just weren't raised right. That's all it is to it, you know, and that's been forever. But um, it, to, to answer your question, there's nothing we can do about that. It's, I mean, this just people can be weird. Uh, right. But as far as the charcoal, it can cause, uh, because wood ashes and charcoal and stuff like that, because it's extremely alkaline, it can temporarily... Uh, it's like caustic. It's like pouring lye on something. It can 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 burn the the, the plants and stuff there, but it's water soluble and it'll wash away. If you leave it there a long time, nothing's gonna grow right there. It's just not gonna poison stuff around it. So anyway, if you can't if you can't carry it all off, at least take a shovel and toss it to spread it out. You know, thin it out. It won't hurt if you do it that way. It's just when it's piled up. But it, it won't be toxic or anything. It's just uh, very alkaline. That's all. Okay. I got an, another one. Uh, I have uh, a bed that's got um, maybe a dozen pepper plants in it, and they're all producing like crazy, except one of them it looks like it's dying. It just wilted yesterday, and, uh, you know, it's, you're not getting any different treatment than the others. I'm wondering. You know, well, you know, it, it could be that they're all on the verge of suffering. You know, are you, uh, uh, one of the things to look for if it, when, a, when a, a pepper plant just wilts like that, it's going to be either a trunk or a stem problem. It's not going to be a leaf problem. So we have to look at uh, think, is it staying wet? Is it staying dry? Did it stay too wet and now it's too hot and the roots can't keep up? But root problems. But also, right at the base where it's coming out of the ground, See if there's a if it's wilting, it's probably not going to pick back up. Pull it up and look for a white webby. It's it's a fungus, but it's, it's webby looking like little white strands right at the soil line. That's a pretty common disease called southern blight. It affects cotton and soybeans. It affects tomatoes and peppers. But it's real distinct because right at the soil line will be a little white webby fungus. If you find that, dig it up carefully. And with the dirt that's right around it, and get it out of your garden because that's how it spreads. The fungus only affects plants right at the soil line, so you don't have to worry about it down deep. But look for that white wavy fungus. It might be southern blight. Not any real control for it, but just scoop those plants up with the dirt around it and toss them out of the, out of the garden. Okay, so Not much uh, else toss, them in, toss them in the garbage or toss them in the compost? I wouldn't put it in the compost because this particular fungus feeds on decaying organic matter. Matter of fact, that's what it does. It make it makes its own stuff to feed on. So I wouldn't throw it in the compost. I would just you know toss it out, uh, t- toss it on top of that pile of of, of stuff people dumped in your yard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or or or, or put it in, put it in a little bag. And if you see that that car that truck coming down, toss it at them. Let's get them back. Uh-huh. Well, I, I was not up at three o'clock in the morning to see him do it, so yeah. I don't know who did it. There, but uh, but a lot of a lot of things will cause plants to wilt, tomatoes and peppers and things like that. But it's usually a root uh-huh. problem. Not much we can do about that or that stem rot. And, and there's uh-huh. not much we can do except watch your water. Try not to overwater. Okay. Uh, thanks a lot, and I love your program. Well, thanks, Bill. Appreciate you being part of it. He's calling from Neshoba County. Uh, hey, they have a, I guess the Neshoba County Fair should be coming up pretty soon. I bet that's going to be hot and humid. Yeah, that's always sure the, big, the, the, the big draw. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, man. Anyway, it's, it's, it's really weird right now. There's so many things going on in people's gardens that we don't have much control over. The diseases, not much we can do about those. The sprays that we use for diseases are preventive. They're not cures. You have to put them out ahead of time. Leaf spots on hydrangeas, tomatoes firing up. Uh, but also, I've been seeing some fairy ring in people's lawns. This is where you have a, a big curve or circle that's green or it can be brown, but it's just a, a foot or so wide. But it looks like uh, it looks like a spaceship landed there. It's a curve or a ring. And under the right conditions, you know, when the moisture is right, the temperature, the humidity, th- these white mushrooms will pop up in a circle or a ring or, or a curve. That's called a fairy ring. It's a fungus that we don't have any control over. There's not much we can do, but it usually doesn't hurt the lawn, and it slowly grows off the lawn a foot or two a year. Get grass start on the inside, just have like a little curve uh, of fungus going out there, like a ripple on a pond. Whole lot of stuff we can't do about it. insects. Yes, we need to tr- uh, treat those, but I would use a mild insecticide late in the day and see if it doesn't work overnight. Other than that, you know, it's just a matter of hunkering down and replanting. That's what gardeners do. You got a problem, you deal with it. You don't wait till next year. You replant for fall, and it's getting close to time to plant our fall gardens, tomatoes and peppers, and not much past time to start sending out broccoli and stuff like that. So we're getting close to fall. So anyway, if you can just hunker down and hang in for another few weeks, get past these dog days, I think it'll be all right. Main thing is don't give up just because you got problems right now. It might just be the luck to draw, and if worse comes to worse, Throw you some zinnia seeds out there. At least give you you and the butterflies something to smile about. So anyway, me and Java and Charles and all the folks at MPB, we're going to take a break. I call it a week. Going to be back same time, same place. We rebroadcast this on Saturday mornings. And, of course, you can download the podcast. We've got all sorts of uh, things on the mpbonline.org website. Um, if you get a chance, I know it's hot, but the farmers markets are, are always, they always got stuff going on this time of year. Garden centers don't have a lot of plants, but they got some fun stuff. Take a kid to a farmers market or a garden center, get them to meet people who grow stuff for us to enjoy. Teach them how to do what we do best, folks, and that's get dirty. If you don't have any kids around, get dirty yourself. Main thing is wear a hat, stay hydrated, don't get muddy. Remember, we're just like any kind of plants that we just need a little bit more smile and hugs. We'll be back with more of the Gascard Gardener next week here on MPB. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio... We appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. 